Today's gospel, which I really connected with because it talked about we don't have the ability to make one hair uh, white or black, which as, as I've grayed, I've, I've realized that that's true. Um, it, it is what it is. Uh, we have to deal with it. But today's gospel, Matthew chapter 5, verses 24 through 37, it continues Jesus's famous sermon on the mount. Uh, it was named such as if he hasn't done enough for us already. It was named such in the fourth century by St. Augustine of Hippo, who writes this. Anyone who piously and earnestly ponders the Sermon on the Mount, as we read in the Gospel of Matthew, I believe he will find therein the perfect standard of the Christian life. So let us, brothers and sisters, This morning, piously and earnestly ponder with a view to obedience the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, the end of last week's gospel. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, standing on this mountain, calls us back to to Moses descending the mountain with the law. And he's interpreting the law of Moses, and he's fulfilling the law of Moses, and he intensifies its demands by highlighting the central telos, that is the central goal of the commandments of God, which is new creation. That is the transformation of the whole person. So for examples, don't simply refrain from murdering, which that's a good one. I think we can all agree on on that. Like if you haven't murdered anyone, good job, guys. Well done. But Jesus says, don't just refrain from murder, refrain from anger, which is itself a sort of murder, which could lead to murder. Don't be angry with your brother or sister. He says, don't just avoid adultery, the act, which is a good thing, right? But avoid the lust itself, which is a sort of adultery and may very well lead to the act. As an aside, because Jesus is getting into our interior life, our hearts, our our thoughts, what's what's going on uh, on the inside. And and I want to, as an aside, this is another sermon for another day. Having a wicked thought, right, is not a sin. I mean, all sorts of thoughts, especially uh, in our day and age with the uh, mass media and billboards and internet and TV, all sorts of thoughts enter our minds without permission. And how terrifying would it be, especially for those in the room who are uh, introverted or introspective, rather, and scrupulous, if, if God were to hold us accountable for every evil thing that enters our minds? then who could be saved, right? Sin happens. So when does it become sin? Sin happens when we consent to delight in thoughts which are not of God, instead of, as scripture exhorts, taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. It's when we consent to delight in that which is not of God. Jesus, once again, is is fulfilling 
Not abrogating, that is setting aside the Old Testament in general or the Ten Commandments in particular. For he says, quote, you have heard that it was said, unquote, to indicate that the law of Moses had come to be erroneously interpreted, not that the law itself was fraught with error. For the psalmist sings, the law of the Lord is perfect, and Jesus would no doubt agree. One of the first heresies in the church was a heresy called Marcionism, named after the heretic Marcion. Uh, And Marcionism rejected the so-called Old Testament and the God thereof. Thus, Marcion believed that that Yahweh and Jesus, you know, as we read in the prologue of the Gospel of John and as we confess in the Creed, that the Word was with God and uh, the Word was God and that the Word became flesh. Marcion saw no continuity between Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, and the Jesus that we find in the Gospels. Thus, there was no continuity between the Old Testament. We can throw that out and get rid of that. That was an angry, capricious God. Saw no continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the law of Moses and between the law of Christ. Now, he's a heretic for a reason, condemned as a heresy, but such views are extremely problematic and scripturally unfounded because Jesus, the story of Jesus, is the climax of the story of Israel. However, Maybe you've never even heard of Marcion or or Marcionism. But there persists in our day what I would call a neo-Marcionite myth. That the Old Testament is about adherence to the letter of the law, while the New Testament is all about adherence to the spirit of the law. It's all about the heart. It's works versus grace. It's action versus intent. It's externals. God really cared about the externals in the Old Testament, but he only cares about the internals in the New Testament. But I would argue that this is a false dichotomy and one completely unwarranted by Scripture. Furthermore, it's quite dangerous, theologically speaking, to pit the word of God against itself, or really to pit God against himself. What does he say in, in the book of Malachi? I, the Lord, do not change. That means God is who he is. What does the author of Hebrews say? Hebrews 13, 8, G, 13, 8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Besides, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explicitly says, guys, this is not what's happening. Quote, I am not, I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Therefore, what we do matters in the New Testament, and why we do it mattered in the Old Testament. This is a sort of a a crude way to put it, but externals and internals matter in both Testaments. Don't believe me, I'm going to prove it to you right now. In the Old Testament, we have the great Shema, the great hearing. Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God, the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Moreover, Israel, 
If you, if you read through the Old Testament and you read the prophets, they're often rebuked for their external adherence to the law, of going through the motions, of, of keeping the feast days, of, of offering the sacrifices, apart from the fundamental transformation of our lives. That's what we heard last week in our Old Testament lesson. It's like, okay, you guys are doing the stuff, but you're, you're oppressing people. You're neglecting the poor. You're not the kind of sort of, the sort of people that I'm calling you to be. You're going to church, but between that, you don't look much like what God's calling you to. Isaiah 29, 13. This is the Old Testament. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. God has always cared about the heart. It works the other way around. Because in the New Testament, God still cares about obedience. The New Testament is full of commandments. We find Paul, the apostle of grace, we could call him, writing to Corinth, warning them, quote, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What he's done in the body, whether good or evil. And we find John. We could call John the apostle of love. Writing, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Stop for, I'm, before I read anything else, this is John, the one whom Jesus loved, the one who rested his head against the breast of our Lord at the Last Supper. And this is what he says. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We are to walk as Jesus walked. And that connotes a life, does it not? Not just of checking boxes, but becoming like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. Sometimes we see it in uh, sports. Uh, It's kind of on the brain with the NBA All-Star Weekend, is that these younger players that have idolized these greats from the 80s and 90s, they, they have like the same sort of swag that, that these guys have. You know, they, they walk like them. They, they talk like them. They, they shoot, they move like them. It, it's that Jesus Christ, as the, the image of the invisible God, as we united with him, we start to think like Jesus thinks and live like Jesus lives and, and, and obey the commandments of God the Father as our Lord did. N.T. Wright calls this false, this false dichotomy, which I've just described, a clever parody of the Sermon on the Mount. He writes this. Today, with romanticism and existentialism as our hidden teachers, we, quote, naturally think that as long as we are acting from the heart, what we, out, what we do outwardly doesn't matter so much. His heart's in the right place is usually said as an excuse. We apply this selectively, of course. Nobody excuses murder on the grounds that it was sincerely meant. But it goes unnoticed elsewhere 
that the antithesis between outward and inward observance is never meant in either testament as a way of abolishing the commandments themselves. This is it. It's a way of saying that the truly mature, integrated follower of Jesus will be someone for whom it is no longer a moral effort to keep the commandments. They will do so because they deeply want to. So am I saying that we're still under the law of Moses? No, absolutely not. That's another heresy that Paul deals with in the book of Galatians. It's called legalism, having to keep the old law. To say that would be to deny Christ and his work. What I am saying is that obedience to the living God is not optional. That as those who have been saved by grace through faith, we need to continue to cooperate with grace. We need to continue to cooperate with the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Allow me to reframe it in the form of a question. Let me just ask you all a question rhetorically this morning. Do you have to obey your Lord? Do you have to obey your Lord? Because a lot of times, even in the the culture of the church, it's talked about as if it's optional. I mean, the very question is absurd because the use of the term Lord presupposes, it assumes that we're in the position of servants, of those who owe fealty and obedience. Again, if you don't believe me, Jesus said, Luke chapter 6, verse 46, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? The Sermon on the Mount, then, is not meant to discourage us. It's meant to call us upward into what life in the Spirit looks like, the characteristics of walking with Jesus. And what through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he, he can bring us to in practice. The Sermon on the Mount, then, is Jesus' perfect interpretation of the law of Moses. And at the same time, it's this giving of, from one perspective, a law that's actually more demanding. The law of liberty, that, as James calls it. The law of Christ, adherence to which... Because if you miss this, you're just going to be discouraged. Adherence to which is only made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the giving of the Holy Spirit, which we receive at baptism. We are able to walk as Jesus walked because through the person and work of Jesus and by the Spirit, we are given new hearts. Listen to the prophet Ezekiel. I know everyone's favorite book. This is a prophecy about covenant renewal, about the new covenant, and about the giving of the Spirit in baptism. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, the law of Moses was good, but the material that it was working with, Sark's flesh, was flawed. And Christ, through his life and death and resurrection, and by the giving of the Spirit, he accomplishes in us what the law could not do on account of human weakness. Transforms us. Because if we listen to the Sermon on the Mount in the flesh, we'll just become discouraged. Oh, we'll want to reinterpret it. To, to really say things that are maybe a lot e- easier for us to hear. But he's saying, no, that take out your heart of stone and give you a new heart and I'll put my spirit within you and the spirit will do the work. The spirit will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Through Jesus Christ, by the spirit, we have been transformed and we have the means of transformation whereby we can truly give glory to God the Father in what we say and what we do and in who we are. So this morning, yes, I've emphasized in this sermon the continuity between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. That God has known what he was doing since eternity past. He didn't go to plan B or that, you know, this is blasphemy, that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, that's the different gods, different religions. I've emphasized the continuity. But there's, of course, and we know this from reading the New Testament, there's profound discontinuity as well. We are not under the law of Moses. The law of Moses was temporary. It was a signpost pointing to Christ. And signposts, or or think about it like a road sign, they're no longer necessary once you reach the destination. So it is utterly true that we're not under the law of Moses, nor are we justified by keeping it, as if keeping the law of Moses were possible for anyone except for Christ. But Paul writes in Galatians, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We are free in Christ. But it's not freedom to sin. I mean, it's it's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. It's freedom to bear the image. It's freedom to become what we were created to be in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, we are free and able and equipped and commanded to pursue life in the spirit, to pursue lives of virtue, to be salt and light, to live according to the principles and precepts of Christ of scripture, which don't constrict us, but call us unto abundant life in Jesus Christ. For as the psalmist sings to God, you laid down your commandments that we should fully keep them. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.